Well, welcome everyone to the Highway Community Podcast. We're so glad to have you with us wherever it is that you're tuning in from and whenever it is uh, that you are tuning in from. <laughs> if you'd like to connect with us more, I want to invite you to go to highway.org and click the Engage page. You can find information about all of our different ministry areas, things going on there, or on that same site, highway.org, you can click the Connect page, and that'll take you straight to a form where you can reach out. One of our staff, one of our pastors uh, would love to be uh, in contact with you. Because uh, whether you're here in Silicon Valley or not, you know, we'd love uh, to connect with you on the journey of life and faith. Uh, it's so nice to be in this space together today. Uh, I've got an update on something that I shared last week that I'm sure all of you have been on the edge of your seat waiting for. It's the Haley Family Disneyland countdown. Uh, And as of this recording, it's three days, (laughs) three days from now, uh, we leave on Tuesday. And last week we talked about chaos and water and about how those words that describe the series that we're in feel really relevant to this trip too. And well, wouldn't you know it, the words for this week are tired and anxious. Also very relevant to thinking about this trip in three days in the park and sleeping in hotels with kids. And my body's going into this, you need to get as much sleep right now as you possibly can, but I'm hibernating like a winter bear to just get ready. Tired and anxious. Uh, Those are familiar words, aren't they? You know, we feel this way so often. I wonder if we just think this is how it is now, our our new normal, just normal life. Uh, But the question that's been bugging me, though, uh, is, is this abundant life? You know, Jesus said that he came that he might have life, that we might have life and have it to the fullest measure and have it abundantly. And he actually taught a lot about feeling tired and feeling anxious. And the question that I've been wrestling with this week is, if God is a God who abundantly provides, who knows and sees and loves us, who knows what we need, then why are we so tired and anxious all the time? This is a series called Water of Life. It's about chaos and water, about how God hovered over the chaos waters in Genesis 1 and transformed them into seas full of life, about how a river flowed out of the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2, bringing that transformed water of life to the rest of the world, and about how what happens around springs, wells, rivers, and the scriptures is often reflective of the kind of change and healing and life that God wants to bring into the world as he brings all of our chaos back into order. And that's really the invitation I want us to sit with today, Uh, to see if there's parts of our lives where we're living outside of that order and how God and how that might be causing us to live disconnected from the abundant life God has for us, to use our metaphor where it's blocking the flow of living water. And and I want to be really clear. I'm talking about the weariness and anxiousness that comes from living outside of the way uh, that because God loves us and knows what we need, God wants to order our lives. Uh, There's some passages I want to look at today that I think offer some helpful guidance, Uh, but there's another kind of anxiety that comes from deep pain and trauma, and I don't want that to feel trivialized by anything I say today. Uh, If you're in that space this morning, we see you. God sees you. And life can be so challenging, and there can be so many things to try to balance all at once. And we're all doing our best. Look, a lot of what I want to offer this morning, I'm saying to myself, too. This isn't a stop being tired and anxious message, or worse, be ashamed that you feel that way message. Um, My word, those are so unhelpful. 
This is an opportunity to look at why we might feel that way and listen to what God has to say to us about it. As we look at this passage and where people are fighting over water because they think there's not enough, my prayer is that God starts a conversation with us about those places in our lives too. If we're outside of the order he made for us, that he'd draw us back into it. And that that chaos would start to transform waters of chaos into the waters of his abundant life. As we get started this morning, would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for the space. We thank you so much for your scriptures. I pray that you'd help us open ourselves to whatever you have to say to us today. If we take anything away from this time, it's that you know us, that you love us, that you want to give us what we need for today. Will we see and know your goodness? And pray these things in and for your name. Amen. Our starting point for this morning is in Genesis chapter 26, and people are fighting over water, uh, which makes sense, right? I mean, this is the ancient Near East, a dry place. Uh, our passage starts in the middle of a famine. You know, there's no food, and that's got people freaked out. And so people are fighting over water because yeah, that's what we do when something's scarce, isn't it? Just remember the toilet paper craze of 2020. <laughs> is it just me that gets weird? You know, the worst, the worst is when I don't feel like I have enough time to get everything done that I feel like I need to get done. Uh, I turn into a crazy person and get super strict and focused on the schedule that I've got to keep. And there better not be any interruptions because we can't deviate from the schedule. So when I don't feel like there's enough time, I try really hard to control my time. That's what we do, isn't it? I hold it really tightly. I don't want to share it. There's not enough of it as it is. Get your own time. Leave me alone. That didn't happen at all this week. <laughs> Never on a preaching week. Uh, it's silly, and we've learned to see it coming. Uh, Brittany will find a way to be like, you're doing it again, to which I'll respond, was that an interruption? <laughs> That didn't, that didn't happen at all this week. In Genesis 26, the stakes are a lot higher. You know, water, one would think, is scarce. And in this world, water is life. Water is life. That's a physical reality in this passage. And it's the image I want us to hold as we listen for what God is saying to us today. You know, water represents physical life. And just like Jesus said when he was sitting by, gasp, oh well, there's also living water, water that represents God's abundant life. That's the image I want us to hold as we look at this passage. If you've got a copy of the scriptures with you, go ahead and turn or tap your way to Genesis 26, starting in verse 1. You can also follow along on uh, your own copy uh, there that you've got with you at home. Uh, if not, I'm going to read everything. Uh, so uh, just feel free to sit back and listen. This is Genesis 26, starting in verse 1. And now there was a famine in the land. Uh, besides the previous famine in Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. And God talks about that promise for the next few verses. And then look at verse 6. 
So Isaac stayed in Gerar. And you see, we're setting the stage here. Uh, there's a famine. There's not a lot of food or water to go around. And God tells Isaac to stay where he is and not go to Egypt where there were probably more resources available. See, it's an act of trust, an act of faith that God will give him what he needs and be faithful to this promise that he made. If you were with us last week, Isaac is Abraham and Sarah's son, the one that they thought they wouldn't have and created so much chaos in the process. And here, Isaac, who's also facing a real challenge, does what his parents didn't do in that moment. He listens to what God says, doesn't take matters into his own hands, and he stays. My notes from when I was first reading through this passage to get ready for today say, Isaac stays in the famine, listens to God, Yay. <laughs> Feels like a great summary for this first section of verses. You know, things take a weird turn in verses 7 through 11, and so I just want to be up front and say I'm not going to talk about those today. Not because there's nothing to say, but because there's a lot to say, but it's kind of its own thing, and so I'm going to exercise some personal discipline and leave it for another time, which is very hard, and I'm very proud of myself exercising restraint. But if you want to talk about it, shoot me an email, and let's set up a time to talk about it. Let's pick things back up in verse 12. In verse 12, it uh, tells us that God blessed Isaac. Uh, it turns out so much so that the Philistines get jealous. So uh, let's pick things back up in verse 15. And so all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You've become too powerful for us. The Philistines were starting to feel threatened by Isaac, and so to get him to move away from them, they're like, ha, plugged your wells, no more water for you. Uh, we're going to come back and talk about this more, but these were wells that Abraham had dug. And these were sources of life-giving water that had been a part of Isaac's family, a physical representation of God's promise to bless and provide for them. And the Philistines plug them up and say, get out of here. It's so mean. And so Isaac does. Let's continue in verse 17. So Isaac moved away and fr moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar, where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And this wasn't the first time they'd done this, apparently. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. What a surprise. And just listen for the irony in these next few verses. Uh, but the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and says, this water is ours. So he named the well Esek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well. No one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. And after this, God shows up, reminds Isaac that he'll bless him. Let's look at verse 25. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord there. He pitched his tent, and his servants did what? They dug another well. In verses 26 to 31, the Philistines come for a visit and make a peace treaty. You know, they saw that God was with Isaac, and they're like, you know, it's probably a good idea to be friends with this guy. <laughs> Isaac cooks a meal for them. They share some good food and good beverages, and they leave in peace, chaos, transforming into life around a well, no less. And look at how the chapter closes out in verses 32 and 33, just in case we haven't caught the thread earlier. 
That day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we found water. And he called it Sheba. And to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. There's a famine in a place that's already dry. And there's all this conflict over who has access to water. People making choices like I do when I feel like my time is scarce. But let me ask you this. Is water scarce in this passage? Is it scarce? No. But what we see is people acting like it is. See, in our water is life metaphor, there's an abundance of life that's just like an abundance of water that God's made for us. But just like we see in this passage, it can be so easy to live disconnected from the fact that that's true. Especially when we're in situations like Isaac's in here. Uh, When there's a famine in the land. When we're running on empty. uh, When a bunch of hard things happen at once. When we face opposition, resistance, conflict, even outright antagonism. And, And this thing can happen where it feels like the only option is to just dig in and try harder. To hold tighter. To try to control what we have so we don't lose it. Scarcity creates a lot of chaos, doesn't it? Even if it's not on the surface, even if we put on a brave face for everyone else, it can create a lot of chaos internally. This is a series about chaos and water, about how God is present in the chaos in our lives and in our world and transforming those raging seas into life-giving waters. And so what does it look like for God to transform that chaos, that sense of not having enough and the weariness and the anxiousness from trying to keep it all together that comes with it? If if we go back to the beginning, back to the creation story, we see that God brings order to the chaos. There's a rhythm to the world that he made. He separates the waters above and the waters below. He separates the light and the darkness and creates day and night. And there's an order that he created for our lives too. And it calms our chaos a bit. As we're following the water of life metaphor, you know, for Isaac to reconnect with the water, we see in this passage that he digs new wells and he reopens old ones. And where that flow of water was blocked, you know, where it was cut off by rocks and dirt, pushed in from the surface. It's so mean, the Philistines, right? Here's where these streams come together. Come on, water pun, had to do it. Here's my premise for today. There's an order and a rhythm to life that God created for us. And when we live in that order and rhythm, this thing happens inside of us and we're just more aware of God's goodness and God's presence with us. And we find rest from our weariness and our anxiousness, from all the running around we do to try to make sure we've got everything that we need. But we live in a place and in a time that throws all sorts of rocks and dirt in the well. And, you know, I think we do too sometimes. And what I want us to look at in the rest of our time together is how God meets us as we step back into the rhythm, back into the order that he created and reopens those wells to his abundant life. And there's three words I want to offer us today uh, to help us with that. Of course, there's three words. This is a sermon, so it was either three or seven. Uh, I figured seven was a lot, so we'll keep it at three for today. Here they are. Those words are limits, today, and receive. Uh, 
Let's talk limits first. Uh, I'm a bedtime snacker. Uh, anybody else a bedtime snacker? Uh, and my snack of choice is bedtime nachos. I don't know what it is, but there's something about 10 o'clock at night that my brain just goes, you know what sounds like a really good idea right now? Some bedtime nachos. Uh, you know what doesn't think that's a good idea? My body. <laughs> doesn't matter how delicious they are. My body gets real mad when I eat a plate of nachos at 10 o'clock and then try to lay down and go to sleep. And, and there's not a lot of negotiating that I can do. I can accept my body's limit and sleep in peace, or I can eat some bedtime nachos. As much as I would like, I can't have both. I think we often have this same kind of relationship with the limits that God wants to place in our lives for our own good. We want the abundant life found within those limits, but we don't want to live within those limits themselves. Psalm 16 has been such a meaningful passage to me the last couple of years. Let's take a look at verses 5 and 6. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Our delightful inheritance falls inside, inside the boundary lines. Uh, but we live in a place so enamored with living beyond our limits that we invented things like Soylent, so we don't even have to stop working to eat. And I wonder how many of us drank a little bit of the Silicon Valley Kool-Aid. It says we are what we do, how much we do, how much our kids do, and how that's leading us to live a life that's outside the limits that God who loves us, who knows what we need, wants to set for us. And how tired and anxious that's making us. When I was 28, I wrote an article called Get a New Plate because I was so tired of hearing, how, uh, hearing everyone say how full their plate was. Uh, the article was basically take your full plate, smash it on the ground, get a bigger plate, you're welcome. Uh, I drank the Kool-Aid too. But I wonder how many of us are saying, God, there's not enough of what I need. I don't have enough. Where's your abundant life? I could use a little bit more, please, when God's saying you're doing too much. There's more than enough for what you need if you'll live within the limits that because I love you and because I know what you need, I gave you. The boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places for me. Living outside our limits is a recipe for burnout. And the weariness and anxiousness that comes with it, it chunks so many rocks in the well. It creates so much chaos that even if we don't show it, we feel it. Where does God want to bring some of that chaos back into order this morning? Jesus talked a lot about being tired and anxious and about limits. And one place he does this is in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. You might have heard this passage before where he talks about how God takes care of the birds and the flowers and that you're so much more valuable than they are. And so, of course, God's going to take care of you. And after saying, you don't have to be so worried about all this stuff, seek my kingdom first. Instead, he says this in verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And Jesus is saying, focus on today. Today. <laughs> for what you need for today. 
Uh, but I'm, I'm realizing that I like to time travel more than Doctor Who. <laughs> uh, and the TARDIS is my mind. And I wonder how many of us are tired and anxious. Uh, how many of us feel disconnected from the abundant life that God has for us because we're not living in today? Some of us are even trying to live multiple days at once. We're living in that thing that happened two years ago and what might happen six months from now. In the meeting that's scheduled for next week and the phone call that we got yesterday, it's no wonder we're exhausted. We're not meant for the multiverse. Jesus says focus on today because tomorrow's going to have its own set of issues. And because if we're not present... It's hard for us to connect to God's presence with us. And we don't feel like we have enough. And I think that's why Jesus taught his disciples to say, to say, give us this day our daily bread. And to help them stay in today. To start to see how God met them with what they needed for each day. Over and over again. God doesn't want us trying to live eight days at once. Look, that puts so many rocks in the well. <laughs> he wants to meet us with what we need for today, to show us he's with us today. And what that does in us is that it helps us release our past and our future to the only one who can do anything about them anyway. <laughs> Jesus says in this passage, who by worrying can add a minute to your life? Let me meet you in today. Let me show you that I'll give you what you need for today. And when we step back into this way that God ordered things, when we step back into today, uh, our, our time traveling chaos starts to transform. And we reconnect with his abundant life that's more than enough for today. Uh, look, we got to talk Sabbath too. And, you know, that thing that God put in the Ten Commandments up there along with things like don't murder people, but for some reason we just ignore. And Jesus' teachings here speak to the heart, you know, that's behind this main rhythm of life that God gave his people. Every seventh day, God told his people to put everything down. Work, chores, household stuff, and rest, and worship, and eat. And remember who's in control of it all. God's abundant life isn't something that we make for ourselves and need to fight to preserve. It's something he wants to give us. It's ours to receive. Open-handed. Every day. His mercies are made new every morning. Uh, we're a lot like the folks in Genesis 26. I'm so worried about the water. So worried about if there's enough. And I wonder if that's because we're out of order. Because we're not living in the limits that God set for us. Or because we're living in the past and the future instead of today. Or because we're trying to make and keep and try so hard to preserve for ourselves what's actually ours to just receive. Because God loves us and knows what we need. Are there rocks in your well this morning? Where's God inviting you to step back into the rhythm of creation, the way he ordered the chaos 
to experience the abundance of his goodness today. I want to just take a moment and and as we end our time, share God's heart from the scriptures this morning. Hear what he's saying. My grace is sufficient for you. I'm enough. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'm enough. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. I am enough. I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. I am enough. As we close our time this morning, would you pray with me? Gotten all the things going on. All the things we're working so hard to balance. All the ways we're just doing our best. Would your life-giving water break in? Would some of these old wells get unplugged? Would you help us reconnect to this truth that you're enough? Sometimes that feels like a mystery. And for God, we know it's true. And we hold on to that promise. Would you draw us back into the life, the rhythm of life, the order of life that you made for us to live? And as we connect to your abundance, your goodness, would that open our hearts in generosity, love, compassion, to live your love in the world around us? We pray these things in and for your name. Amen.